Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a dear friend, educator, podcaster, hip-hop artist, former candidate for Eugene Mayer, Thomas Yida. Welcome to the show. Always a pleasure, dog. I appreciate it. You know, a lot of things are happening in terms of recognizing the Asian American community, and I just think you've been uh, on that as far as having me on the show since well before we were a popular, uh, you know, newsworthy thing. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it's always not, glad to be back. In the past, I had you on because I thought you were an interesting person. This time, it's only because you're Asian. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, you know, yeah, that that uh, having you on, I called you a podcaster in the beginning of this, but I wanted to ha- have a quick side note that I don't know if you make podcasts anymore or if you're just a guest on my show because <laughs> the last episode of the of Broken Class with Thomas Hita was when like. 2020 it no i think it was possibly 2020 maybe but i think it was like january i don't know the point is uh i've been busy i've been working full time i started working at this well-known beloved hotel with a um with a restaurant that's rhymes with beat waters in town and it's a really lovely spot and as soon as i started working the desk even though i barely know what i'm doing there they were like yo you're gonna be full-time now so i was like oh okay there goes a lot of my life and yeah it's pretty cool but i'm trying to focus on my hip-hop music right now and yeah we're going to talk about that at the end of this we're going to play one of your songs if anybody listening hasn't uh listened to past episodes with you on uh you are also a hip-hop artist going by the name of gradient and you're going to be uh talking about a new album that you're working on that's going to be coming out soon so we'll get to that at the end of this i always like to to end each episode with a song so uh, if if all you turned into this uh, podcast to listen to the song, just go ahead and skip to the end because that's where it's going to be. So, OK, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, the Stop the Asian Hate uh, movement. We're going to talk about Springfield Police Department. So uh, a lot of things going on there. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of uh, tax relief. And then we're going to talk about the main uh, primary election in Oregon. So we, we've got a lot of different areas that we're going to discuss. And so, yeah, thanks again for doing this, man. It's always a treat to talk to you and, and chat with you. And though we've only met one time, of course. In person, one time in person, I cut your hair. It's kind of funny how the t- 2020 works because I consider you to be a really good friend. We talk quite a bit, but we've only spent an hour in the same room, which is interesting. Right. And I'll just say uh, uh, out front right now that as we're recording this early on 
uh, April 3rd morning. DMX is in critical condition. And uh, since, you know, I am a hip hop artist, I really definitely feel some some heaviness here. Definitely hoping that he's able to pull through from uh, OD. And um, just the, the thing about him for me is, though, he never really directly influenced my style of music. I don't think he influenced the culture and, and the genre so much as a whole. Also, just like with his use of ad libs, like ad libs as such a greater portion of the song or what makes a song memorable uh he was been he's been doing that since the 90s where people's just started doing that uh, more prominently last decade um the intensity with which he delivered his lyrics is kind of unmatched and um i'm just praying and thinking about him right now yeah um, dmx is definitely one of the one of the first hip-hop artists i was very into uh and my circle of friends was into punk rock music and then there was a few rap crossovers and Stop, drop, shut them down, open up, drop. Yeah, we were into oh, that. Oh, absolutely. We were into that. It's just like if you feel so much of the energy in your bones, it, it I can totally see his music having the potential to transcend genre on some level while also being in some ways the most iconographic and like unapologetically hip-hop form of expression. Right. Like, I've also seen the movie Belly like 20,000 times. But uh, anyway, I think I saw um, what's that one? Ooh, it's like this kid. It's like Mike. I think some movie where the kid like wants to like gets shoes and wants to be like Michael Jordan or it's the one I think it's the one with Bow Wow in it. And there's like they're playing party up in the car. Y'all go make me lose my mind. Up up in in here. And it was like up 2002 or something. And I I heard that song in the Cinemark 17 cheap theater in Springfield Gateway Mall. And I loved it. Nice. And there we go. Nice. So, yeah. So let's get to it. We're going to talk about uh, the Stop the Asian Hate Movement. I'm not a huge fan of the hashtag, I want to say, because when I see it, I think that they're saying that they need to stop Asian people from being hateful. So I'm not, I don't know why. It's mm-hmm. like first thing I think I'm not a big fan of the hashtag, uh, but I'm glad that the conversation is being had, you know, and I'm glad that there is uh you know, a lot of focus on it, not just being about Asian Americans, but also Asian international students, because I've had, I had a friend on who's from Taiwan on the podcast a couple of years ago now. And we talked about his experience and how he had received a, a pretty decent amount of, of racist rhetoric, you know, you know, for being here, go back to your country, that kind of stuff. And so, and yeah. I encourage anybody to, to go back and listen to that with Winston Wang it was really neat. And he talked to me a little bit about Taiwan and China and how that stuff works. And I learned a lot that day, but, uh, you know, getting to know you, you had posted something. Uh, I don't know how, you know, I, I, it was very beautifully written, uh, just about your experience. And do you want to talk on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I'll, first I want to say about the hashtag, I can understand where you're coming from. And, um, I, I just made a post that was just like not that much different from what all what I'm about to ramble now, which is just a sequence of my thoughts, not really considering too much that it's going to be like something eloquent. It's just like was well, yeah, really important was for me to say that I really cared about what was going on because because a- anti-Asian violence and rhetorical violence and stereotyping and cruelty um or even just discounting and discrediting of the experience of my community, um, it manifests in, in some very subtle ways. And now it's just popping off in a really, well, 
for many, many months prior to the Atlanta tragedy and violence and terroristic act, um, people in the Asian American community were trying to sound the alarm, you know, and let, and get more attention on the issue. And there was a little bit of traction with that, but you know, some 3000 incidents of, um, you know, bias related violence against the community were reported to a, to a group that tracks that information within a year. So, you know, it's really intense and it sucks. Um, I did just want to say on the hashtag, it's one of those interesting things. You're never going to find a hashtag that purpose that like encapsulates yeah. exactly like something that's going to, that's going to convince people on such entrenched sides to like come along with something. But I think about this a lot in terms of like, so I'm, I'm writing a rap album, but I'm also writing a book and um, I'd love to talk to you about it once it's, once it's further along, et cetera. But like with the information age and we all have the ability to like, access like we could be reading books all day on our phones but we don't because it's too long and it's it's not as dynamic and exciting and the colors aren't as bright and as pretty so like it's kind of like to get a simple message across like asians um face a kind of discrimination that deserves more attention you could go like dissertation length you could even go like shorter popular book length you can make a documentary you can make uh just like a an article on medium.com or you can make a Facebook post or you can go all the way down to a three word hashtag and the message could be the same. It's just how much you're trying to substantiate it. And it's like every single time you add more information, you lose people. Sure. No, I think it's effective. I think it's effective and that's really what matters. And, and, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, it's just the first thought that I had when I saw it, I don't want to put too much. Well, that that. the one I posted was stop AAPI hate, which um, it stands for Asian American Pacific Islander. And, you know, I was talking to my friend, Matthew Uke, who also ran for mayor. And, you know, he uses a lot the term ADPIA, which is Asian Desi Pacific Islander American, I believe. Desi is um, kind of encompasses more South Asian and potentially what we would consider the Middle East, um, because it is one of those very interesting racial group categories where, um, you know, you want people to be, to feel seen, but um, also like literally like he uses that acronym a lot and bless his heart. I appreciate it, but I, I didn't know what it meant until I looked it up. And then when I did, nothing came up for like, I had to type ADPIA Asian. And then I found like two like college and like universities, one of them being Oregon and the other one being um, one elite school. I don't remember. And so it's like, it's just one of those conversations where it's like, Yes, let's use the 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 most inclusive and like solid language we can because there hasn't been a history of like using language well uh, in in referring to groups of people that have been marginalized, etc. But um, also recognizing that not everyone's come into the table with that knowledge, with that education, and potentially with the privilege of having. Um, like, I'm not saying that, oh, you're privileged because you care about social justice, but there is like a great extent to where people who happen to live with a lot of privilege and were able to go to certain schools and able to spend more time and money focusing on certain things that like you're going to be on the cutting edge of lingo. And like, I, I always try to just like find a good balance between those two things because I want people to know what I'm talking about. So that stop Asian hate is like, boom. And then even then, you don't, you were saying, you don't, you don't know for sure what they're talking about. One thing that frustrated me um, was like, 
I try not to get too worked up about local news comments because you find a lot of people who the subtext of what they're saying when they say something, um, you know, just rude, cruel, hateful, or misrepresenting of the situation, or they clearly didn't read the article. They're just popping off at the mouth. The subtext is, hey, I'm here. Look at me. It's not very much about like, I'm trying to make a point that really expresses an important uh, introduction into a conversation where I want people to understand. It's, it's literally a lot like, let me, let me inflame this because I see the opportunity to do that. Or KVAL just posted this KZI just posted this. Let me get in here and I see if I can get a few likes on this, you know? And so one of the things I see is like, you know, from people purporting to be like allies, like, at least one person was just like the Asian community doesn't even like other Asians. Like even Asians hate other Asians, not even Asians like other Asians and uh, really cool time to bring that up, bub. Like really, really interesting time to like, to like massively distort um, a sentiment that like, I'm not going to say there's no truth to that. Well, and, um, and, and But what is that goal? So is that saying that's an admission <laughs> that this issue exists, but since this happens, then therefore it doesn't matter that it exists. Is that was, is that what they're saying? I mean, I don't know. That's the, I mean, one well, thing I have to say about the comment boards on Facebook is I have not only blocked majority of people on the comment boards in my community, <laughs> I've also blocked KVAL. And it, it's really? my quality of life has improved dramatically. I started, I have two major pacts with myself. One is that if someone says libtard, I block them. And it does, it's not about being triggered. It's a joke with myself. And then also completely, <laughs> un, completely unrelated is if, if the, if the word Dakota, South Dakota or North Dakota comes up, I say there should only be one Dakota. I'm required to <laughs> by myself. Uh, uh-huh. So no, I want to say, you know, this started a lot of a lot of this sentiment started it's been going on for decades let's not let's not fool ourselves but in the recent uptick in in anti-asian sentiment really stemmed from some of the rhetoric from donald trump now donald trump repeatedly saying the china virus china virus you know that is hate speech in my opinion because what it is flu is probably worse Kung flu is definitely worse. It's incredibly trivial. It's immediately trivializing. And you and I are both people who can appreciate jokes, but come on. You're the president. You're the president of the United States. If a city council person, if a tiny, if a person in like elected to represent 80 people, none of whom were Asian, if they said that, I'd still think that's, that's a stupid abdication of your responsibility to care about this on like a actual level. Yeah, it can lead to an act acts of violence. And so I think that anyone that doesn't recognize the power of their words and what's even scarier is he probably does know the power of his words and he's okay with it. So, yeah, the China virus. I don't think he looks at what he's saying hardly at all in terms of like positive or negative social impact. I think a lot of it is just like it's clicks. He it's clicks. Exactly. He spent you know, decades just trying to get more attention on his TV show and, you know, figuring out the most amoral, I'm not even going to say immoral, just like moral neutral, you know, ways to increase revenue in that way. Yeah. So as an Asian American, what does the support mean, even though it's coming, you know, there's this very public massacre in Atlanta and, and we're going to talk a little bit about how the, the, the uh, perpetrator in this situation actually tried to use 
the defense that it was a sex addiction, but let's get to that in a minute. But what does the reaction feel like for you as an Asian American? And I know that this is non, not monolithic. This is you, Thomas, what your, what your experience, what does it make you feel? I think I'm trying to fill space, not have dead air on a podcast while I think about how to answer your question. And even just looking at us on the screen, I'm like, are people reading me as Asian? Like, because I'm half Japanese, my dad's white. Like I have to do these mental gymnastics a little bit of the extent to which I can speak to these experiences. Um, I also want to say that I, I shouldn't have to do that. Um, but there is an extent to which it's valid for me to think about like, okay, um, Asian female sex workers um, were murdered. And a lot of the um, people targeted in these attacks are elderly um, Asian, uh, Asian Americans who are maybe our first generation. Um, but I think it's also, it's pretty indiscriminate, but um, I don't think I'm as likely to get physically hit on the street because I don't present quite as, as Asian uh, as some other people um, and people don't see me in that way sometimes. But um, I'll tell you that there have been many, many times in my life where people will kind of um, let their guard down about their racism, frankly, frankly, around me thinking that because I'm an affable person, I won't care. Um, and it's okay to sort of make jokes about people potentially within my own community and people of other racial backgrounds uh, and just kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink to me and, and act like, you know, I'm going to laugh at that and puts me in a very interesting and pretty much always uncomfortable spot to have to calculate whether or not I want to say something about like, that's not cool dog. But, um, you know, trying to lean into that more and have that, have that, that's not cool dog attitude. I, I honestly, one thing that, um, that I want to say, Patrick, is that because, um, you know, I have white privilege on some level as well. And I, um, understand i guess you could say the white experience as well as the asian experience from like my family and like uh my own experiences that i understand what it feels like to like be called racist for example um on some level and i know that people respond very viscerally to being called racist however I really want, and part of like what I'm trying to do with my long form writing and like one of the book ideas that I have um, is that, can you hear me still? Okay. Is that one thing I'm trying to do, Patrick, I'm trying to like get us to a place where somebody can be like called in or called out about things that they're doing that are racist and not shut down. And that means that they have to be able to accept that like all of us are capable and culpable in situations to advance like the shitty toxicity of racism. That's how it got here. Is it advanced through everyday people? Very few of which thought they were being racist, um, you know, thought they were being hateful, but they were just kind of going along with it. And, you know, I've had experiences where let's say prominent people in the local political scene, um, I really want to drop a name just to be a little on the record. Okay. I'm going to just say, I, I don't have hatred at all for this guy. Kevin Cronin, pretty big figure in the local political scene. Very, very unreceptive to the tiniest, most respectful critique that I brought forward 
before as the beginning of my political campaign where I said a conversation you had to me felt very mildly racist and you completely shut down. He absolutely didn't want to hear any of it. He blocked me. And that's literally what I said. A conversation you had with me felt very mildly racist. And it was just one of those indicators that like even people who really believe that they're doing right by communities of color. Um, I wish could engage better. I wish it could come to the table with a little more humility. Yeah. And, um, do you think that it was affected? There. Do you think that it was affected because it was on social media? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that this was through social media, meaning I think sometimes like you talk about being blocked. I think sometimes people are like, I don't have the capability with this means to do this. Now that's unfortunate because the reality well, it was a DM. Yeah. So it's different than me just like commenting on his public post or something. Yeah. Um, and I don't want, I, I don't want to make this about him because it's a much bigger issue. Sure. Sure. I'm sure. Not, I'm not vindicate. I, I just have always wanted to kind of go on the record a little bit about that because it still is something that bothers me. And I'm, and I'm almost certainly never going to get an apology for it. And I'm not the only one who thought that the conversation he had with me was very mildly racist, but anyway, um, it's just one of those things that I feel I have to carry sits on my chest. Um, not just that, but like microaggressions in general, right. all these things, um, they really amount to an experience that you had uh, mentioned that, that we are two people that really can appreciate a joke. Right. So now, yeah. now an example, uh, and it's funny, we talk about blocking people, an example maybe not of racism, but of uh, microaggressions. I had said that my PlayStation was lame, right? On my, on Facebook and certain someone, and I'm not going to use her name and I have unfriended her actually blocked her because she is annoying. But, but the reality <laughs> is, is like, when do we, I don't know this person personally. So I was like, why am I friends with this person on Facebook? And there's this kind of duality with the way that we use social media, where you have like your entertainment value of it. And then you have your social outreach that you can have both. And so I don't know, I'm bad at navigating it. Cause like I said, I block people for stupid reasons to make myself laugh. But uh, you know, when do we decide what is of a, a bad enough insult or a bad enough microaggression because i personally still think the word lame if we're really hanging on low-hanging fruit here i mean that's the to freak out about that because it might be offensive to somebody that's disabled i didn't even think that that was talking about an experience being lame or an hmm. inanimate object i just thought that that was pretty extreme and we're yeah for people who don't know it kind of comes from like um, if you had a lame leg, people would say like, you know, if you're, you are crippled, you have a lame leg then. So it comes from like uh, being thought of by many nowadays or by some as an anti disability slur. Um, where do we decide? How do we decide? We don't as individuals, it's kind of, it's kind of up to collectives yeah. and it's up. To, well, it is up to individuals, but like how you're going to draw the line, but like, you know, we have, we, we come to those balances in collective decision-making. I think I have a, a proud block where I was, was blocked by someone. And I felt like I, um, wear it, wore it a little on my sleeve. I didn't like brag about it publicly, but I felt good about it internally. There's an author named Roxanne Gay and she, um, is most famous for writing a book called bad feminist. She's like teaching master classes on that masterclass site thing now. And she's just, a a pretty prominent um, social justice figure. She's uh, she's a black woman and she um, has had a lot of really great things to say that I've appreciated. 
Um, she also plays Pokemon Go, which I appreciate. And um, she posted something where she was calling Dave Chappelle trash. And it was after he, uh, he had a, a sort of somewhat of a comeback comedy special where um, he spoke about trans people and said, I just keep making jokes about these N-words. And uh, I can't stop making jokes about these N-words. And we're talking about the power of jokes, right? Uh, I think that's an example where, and as someone in the trans and non-binary umbrella community, um, I appreciate Dave Chappelle's jokes. And here's why. We have to have a little bit of realism about the fact that um, are his jokes transphobic at times? I, I, I'm not going to say they're completely not. <laughs> However, the way that he approaches the topic on stage at this point in his career with the massive influence that he has, he is expressing transphobia in a way that makes you look at it, that makes it easier for a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise look at it and think about it. And that obviously shows he's not very comfortable with his transphobia, but that's how he's expressing it. He's like, man, I'm an ass. He's like, it's basically like, I'm kind of an asshole about this. I don't know how I feel about this, but I do feel like I should be able to joke about things. So let me joke about um, the LGBTQ community. He doesn't even say Q, <laughs> let alone Q plus um, in a way that gets more people to engage. And I don't think anything he's, he said crossed a severe line, you know? Yeah. That's going to be where I draw the line That's up though. for interpretation for sure. One of thing that I, I like about what you're saying and something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, just in life in general, is, is for me, I've been talking about admitting, uh, admitting to acknowledging irrational thoughts for my, of, in myself. You know, so like you, you can admit, we can take racism, for example. You could admit that you have these illicit biases and that you don't like it and that you reject it, but you think it. And I think that you mm -hmm. can make progress by admission. You know, by by in your own goals, like not necessarily right. how, you know, you were talking about this kind of briefly in a, in a way it made me think of this. And I, I think that there's a lot of progress that can be made by each individual looking at themselves and thinking about the way that they might look at things and then, uh, you know, learning from other people. And so um, it's just really important that everybody gets heard equally or feels right. heard equally. And that's different. I think that. um I believe strongly and passionately in social justice. And I believe, uh, you know, in, you know, a lot of the majority of things that people who are, who are social justice advocates advocate for. Sometimes I think uh, that a diversity of tactics or just a diversity of strategies for make the con actual convincing of people who are not really on board um, needs to exist. Like we need people who have a bunch of different kinds of skills. And there is a pretty large contingent of people who are, are not friendly to social justice issues who feel that the social justice mob, quote unquote, is authoritarian. Why do they feel that it's authoritarian? Because there are many instances in those people's lives where they have possibly directly, but more likely seen on the internet or social media or in the really hyped up media, uh, like cable media, which is doing badly by the way. And I'm glad to see that cable media is doing badly, um, that people are shouted down, that people are, are, um, for using a word that, um, that is uh, deemed inappropriate, that they are, um, immediately like demonized and, 
I just think that there you're going to have to look at those cases individually and think about who is in the wrong. And you're you're not all, you're hardly ever going to find nobody in the wrong. Like you're like they're going to be people who um, are obstinate and don't want to like give up their old slurs, and that sucks. Um, but they're also occasionally going to be like large groups of people who are trying to like end the use of these slurs. And in some of those cases, you're going to have to reckon with the fact that some of those, some of those people I just don't maybe aren't acting optimally or maybe are, I'm talking so vaguely, I'm having a hard time, like really expressing what I'm talking about. Um, Cause I don't want to just be like, Oh, everybody love each other. And like um, love is love. I think that's a little too simple to just be like, you know, you need to all approach each other in a more loving way. Cause like, you can be mad. You can be, you can express anger. Um, but I guess I do come to the, to the thinking that like, it's very hard to convince people when oh, yeah, you, absolutely. when you are, when you're elevating the tone and we're going to talk about, we, you wanted to talk to me about the, the, the deescalation that could have occurred with uh, Springfield police and um, Stacy Kenny, who was, who was killed in her car. Yeah. You know? And yeah, um, so before we get to the Springfield police, let's uh, let's wrap it up about stop Asian hate. I mean, there's so much to be said. I think it's really good that the conversation is being had. And, you know, we've seen what has happened with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, regardless of what people's uh, view on again on the hashtag is it has been extremely effective. I mean, unlike yeah. ever before, we are seeing people of every shade that are standing up for that movement in some fashion. And actually I feel like we're seeing some progress, you know, and we'll get to a little bit about, we're going to have, I, I don't like, we're going to talk well, about it's taken point. years too. I mean, yeah, BLM, as far as I know, as far as I know, as a non-black person started in like 2015 ish, yeah, maybe 2014 ish, 16 ish. Um, and then kind of was dormant for a little bit in terms of the public eye but certainly was still prominent in the community. And then finally in 2020, people decided that like, we should listen to this. Remember those people who are talking about this, you know how it's still happening. Oh, let's keep, let's listen to them more. Okay. We really should listen to them more. Stop Asian hate. Stop AAPI hate probably could have a similar thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately it happens when there is a reason sometimes to get headlines. And so I, you know, but at least the conversation is happening. So for anybody interested, there is a march for the victims of the Atlanta massacre being put on by East Lane, the East Lane Asian Network and Black Unity uh, Sunday, April 11th at 2 p.m., starting at the federal courthouse in Eugene, Oregon. So if you'd like to show your support and and march, peace. I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm getting closer to double vaccinated. So I, I, I don't do a lot of public stuff because of covid but I will definitely be watching feeds. I might have to go walk with you for this one. So, so anyway, uh, we got to move on. We have a lot of stuff. Uh, I wanted to talk about, you had and kind of uh, alluded to it. The Springfield police department is getting some massive headlines lately. Uh, the police chief, chief Richard L. Lewis is on administrative leave, paid administrative leave, which is always fun. <laughs> well, uh, uh, under investigation. And, you know, there was, there's three different things we're going to talk about. The one that is now being said is what the investigation is about is a female recruit was fired after having sex with two superiors and the chief allegedly tried to mislead the state by misrepresenting the cause of her firing by checking a wrong box saying that that's not why she was fired or that she was not under investigation. 
or that there wasn't an investigation. But Correct. I read a little bit on it, and it says that the Springfield Police Department does not uh, have a rule against uh, relationships, you know, in the workforce among two employees. But if a superior is in a relationship, they are required to report that. And mm. so it seems like uh, she was let go. We, I don't know the exact situation, of course. We were not there. But uh, obviously there's some people that feel like there was some wrongdoing there and the, and the chief of police is on leave. Now, Right. She, is, was, she was hired in August. She was a recruit. Yeah. I believe she was fired in December. Yeah. So pretty dang quickly after that. And it seems that she had – did she had a, have a sexual relationship with – two different of her superiors were they both superiors i believe so at least because so. one of them was lieutenant one isn't that sergeant, or sergeant yeah and, yeah uh, right so, so yeah it seems that sergeant. so yes exactly. I mean, as a recruit they would all be superiors yeah and that that's very odd unusual um it's odd that she that like the punishment was going to be doled out to her because those people probably felt like i can get away with this and, you know, I shouldn't be the one who has to face consequences. And the police chief effectively protected them. And um, it's also just a very weird cultural situation where it's like, what's going on where, you know, these two different people are both, you know, you could definitely make the case. And I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak with too much assumption, but taking advantage of this situation of having this uh, their superior status to this recruit and um yeah it's just it's it's very odd but it's it's certainly as far as um chief lewis being on leave um it's one of those unfortunate situations where like we want to look to these institutions as um protecting public safety and um when there is numerous instances that we're going to talk about further about this particular department um, and protecting of one's own coworkers uh, before putting the public's interest at the center of things, you know, you're going to be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, April to December, it seems pretty questionable. So we'll find out more. August there, or uh, August, sorry, August to December. So there is an investigation going on while the chief gets paid. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm never a fan of that. You know, I understand in this situation there is innocent till proven guilty or whatnot. So you can't, you can't just cut their pay until the time comes, but I'm never a fan of that. So now when the, when if the they're school, not doing work, yeah, I think they don't, they shouldn't be paid at the same rate. They should just get unemployment like the rest of us, which Biden just <laughs> keeps printing out. Anyway, anyway, uh, you know, when I first heard about the investigation and it was early on in this process, we didn't know exactly what it was about. And so, you know, it was interesting timing because the third party independent investigator, had just released their finding released their findings on the Black Lives Matter protest in Thurston this past summer. Uh, I kind of felt like the findings were uh, difficult to interpret. I guess I'll say because the reality is is that their investigation and the headlines in the papers and whatnot said that they find no serious wrongdoing and that there was no evidence of this is the words they use. There was no evidence of collusion with counter protesters. Yet I watched the feed and saw it with my own eyes, first of all. And so they said there's no evidence or that they didn't find it. Did they look? Because I do not think <laughs> they did. So uh, the lawsuit continues or a lawsuit continues uh, with Black Unity versus the Springfield Police Department for 
uh, one of the, the the organizers of the event was, you know, on camera punched by the police officers. And there's I Sean Ford. Yeah. Yeah. And there was definitely some excessive force situation going on there. So I encourage anybody to read the investigation from the third party investigator. Uh, it's easy to find, you know, if you just look up uh, protest, you know, investigation, Springfield, Oregon, you'll be able to find it. But I so, just I felt like the timing was interesting with the police chief. So I wonder if it has something to do with it. Also, uh, in this past year, you had mentioned Stacey Kenny. There was a four point five million dollar settlement. That's four point five million dollars for a town the size of Springfield, you know, for excessive force. Kenny was schizophrenic, was uh, in a traffic stop, was pulled over. And, you know, I, I, I don't have all of the information on this. And I, I intend on, on learning more about this story. But it sounds like. Uh, Stacey Kenny was basically fearful for their life. And during the traffic stop, as the police officers broke the windows, Kenny tried to leave the scene and uh, shots were fired five, five shots and Kenny lost their, their life. And, you know, Stacey Kenny's family had notified the authorities of odd behavior and nothing was done in this traffic spot stop to know who they were dealing with. You know, and it's like they have all this access to information. Uh, not only was there no form of de-escalation in the traffic stop, they also couldn't find out who they were stopping, which brings up an interesting thing because, you know, you remember, I think her name was Cheryl Kidd, who uh, Beltline was named after the officer that was she shot. She was also schizophrenic and pulled over. And then when the police officer is the person that is the one killed, they name a they name a road after them. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, it's, it's interesting how if the if the schizophrenic person is killed, you know, I mean, obviously, there's a, a four point five million dollar settlement. So justice in some form is being served. But are you talking about Officer Chris Kilcullen? Yes. Yeah. OK. In that situation. And I'm not and I've I everything I've heard about Kilcullen. I don't want to discredit this individual because everything I've ever heard from from different. I'm, yeah, parties, I'm is that he was I'm a glad great that's not where we're going with it but no 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 i'm just saying that there's a lot to be said about yeah the where i'm going with it is is that when you're dealing with people in a traffic stop who may be schizophrenic because apparently as a schizophrenic individual you can get a driver's license and you can function well medicated you know and so uh my point being is is that in a traffic spot stop we need to find ways that we can lead to, towards de-escalation by knowing who you're dealing with <laughs> you know if, if at all possible Mm -hmm. And, and it's just a really difficult thing. So this community is not new to this issue of, you know, dealing with uh, the mentally ill in a traffic stop going horrendously wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, you can speak on that. Well, I don't know if you know this Patrick, but I could probably speak to it on a much more personal and kind of very like deeply hurt level than you might think because, um, you know, I, uh, for most of my life was never diagnosed with any psychiatric or mental health conditions until, uh, 2019. And, uh, I didn't know, I still even kind of, am not sure about, uh, diagnosis that I got about bipolar disorder. Um, and, uh, but that arose out of a manic episode that I had in, um, May of 2019, and uh, I was searching for help and I sought help um, 
recognizing that I was in a very unusual heightened state of like not knowing what was going on and, and um, something akin to hearing voices. Um, and I could explain that that was at the end of a very long period of stress in New York city alone, financial stress, academic stress, uh, malnutrition, not having enough food to eat, um, not having enough sleep and uh, not drinking enough water. And I stayed up the whole night and uh, trying to sleep, but being unable to. And uh, I basically that 7 a.m. in the morning uh, went and drove a car to my friend's house to seek help. He, he thought I was in just on drugs or something. And I went to my other friend's house. He, he, they also thought I was just on drugs. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, by the way. Um, not that people who are, have something in their system should be treated uh, with violence at the hands of police or anything like that or, or by, from anyone. And um, I drove erratically in search of help, like from authorities to intervene in this crisis that I was experiencing. Um, and um, some people who knew me um, saw what was going on and who knew my past uh, and uh, I guess you could say like some of my, my the reputation I had had in high school, um, they knew that I was a pretty straight laced upstanding person and that I, you know, certainly was had no history of having any violence or violent threats or anything like that um, towards anyone else. Um, and so they were informing police who uh, had found me and apprehended me that like, don't hurt him. Uh, don't hurt Thomas. Uh, please, like, they're just having a breakdown. They're just having a, a mental crisis or whatever. And um, the very first thing that happened upon my being pulled over and thinking, okay, good, someone's here and they're going to help me, um, was they immediately pulled a gun on me and pointed it in my face. And that, that really escalated um, yeah. that situation. I mean, frankly, yeah. like I was having paranoid delusions when someone is paranoid and thinks somebody might be out to get them. Having someone doesn't matter if you're wearing a uniform or not point a gun at your face right. is immediately going to rent. It's is that going to go down. Is my is my level of of stability going to no. go going to increase? No. Is my level of symptoms going to go down? Absolutely not. And that's what, I, and, what I'm getting at here is that we need to rethink the entire thing. Because I, I wish I could remember the guy's name, and you might know, but the gentleman in Colorado, young young adult in Colorado, that was murdered by the police, and he was having uh, Elijah McLean. Yes, that situation. And if you're unfamiliar, I definitely encourage you to look look up Elijah McLean because this situation is yet one of another where this person is being, you know, he was he was perpetually cold, so he was he was layered and the cops are making a judgment like why would they why are you wearing a bunch of you know you're on drugs mm -hmm. like you just said what does it mean even if they are on drugs that doesn't mean you get to kill them you know you know and yeah. there's just uh you can just sense the, the quotes from that happens. story are so tragic because he's so apologetic and he's so, he's trying so hard to get them to see him as a human being and as someone who you know yeah just to see him as a and and abnormal but like perfectly worthy of the same kind of basic respect person yeah. and yeah. it's just like you know there it frustrates me that like there are there's a large contingent of people who say that we shouldn't be talking about race we shouldn't bring in race into things where we don't know that it's race related and i just cannot even believe for a moment that if elijah mclean were not black um let's specifically say if that that if he were white 
that he wouldn't still be with us playing violin to animals. You right. know, first of all, I want to say thank you for sharing your story. Uh, you know, because that really brings a lot of context to the conversation because you have a personal experience, like you had said, where you were having an episode, or we're going to call it that, that, that. Yeah. And just because I've been somewhat of a public figure, I want to say uh, I did not hurt anybody in that situation. Um, and uh, I did damage a fence and I'm going to pay restitution for it. Uh, and I've gone through a, a mental health court program. So I know quite a, quite a bit about um uh, how the legal system responds to situations like that imperfections that are made as well as situations where our Lane County might be a little better than other places. Sure. Because we've dealt with this so much because we have um, Oregon is like number 50 out of 50, I think in having adequate mental health services. Right. So like these well, situations play out in a criminal and you, you would say often would say punitive process. And we need to figure out how to, build a better future right well stress can do some wild things and stress combined with lack of sleep combined with an underlying mental health issue whether it's temporary or an ongoing thing even if it's if it's a uh, you know depression depression comes and goes you know we could be here for days talking about that but it leads you to do difficult things and we live in a society today that is not is not quick to to allow people to redeem themselves. That's not what I grew up in. The society that I grew up in, I grew up in a, in a time when people would say like, wow, they're having a bad day. Not when they go and they shoot up a bunch of spas, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, he was having a bad day. Like the police officer uh, that were reported to the reporters. That's what he said. That was the quote is this gentleman was having a bad day. It's like, having a really bad day. And this is what he did. Yeah. That's out of control. So, you know, this is where the defund the police arguments come from, because people are like, if we're not going to have a protection of the of the community, <laughs> you know, then what are we having? I mean, what are they doing? And I, I mean, I don't want to talk on it too much, but I had a neighbor that her adult son was dealing with mental health issues and the cops were of no help. And this was in Springfield. They're like, until he hits you, there's nothing we can do. I'm like, are you serious? Like he's uh, I don't want to get into that for their for their privacy, but. Yeah, it's just difficult. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Springfield Police Department because uh, there's definitely going to be a mix up. We'll see what happens with with uh, Chief Lewis, if he is let go or if he just comes back and is allowed to go back to work. My gut tells me that something is going to happen because we are seeing a massive shift in the leadership structure of Springfield government. And uh, I think we're going to see some serious changes. We'll see. I mean, the private investigator third-party investigator into the Black Lives Matter uh, protest this summer. I'm not a big fan of how it turned out. I think it was mm -hmm. pretty, pretty short-sighted. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Right. And there was a little bit of mixed um, ways that it was reported because it is true that they basically said that they found no serious wrongdoing, but they also said that they could have avoided uh, the conflict, you know, and that they, they, they could have avoided the conflict that happened in Thurston. Um, and, you know, it was a 49 page report by this guy, Rick Brazil. And it was one of those situations too, um, because I wanted to talk about the fact that I was there at that event. I was there for the entirety of that uh, from the, from the beginning of that Thurston event, I may have left the scene a little bit early. And in that, in that way, I kind of um, 
followed the direction of the police maybe more than I needed to. But um, at the time, I felt like that. And I actually had somewhere to be. So uh, as I left, you know, I got um, super menaced and I and I and I filmed it from my hip. But um, by uh, someone, a counter protest or someone sympathetic to um, the, you know, the police who were who were um, barricading against the the protest group. Right. And, uh, you know, that person jumped into my face and spat in my face with no mask or anything and said, uh, uh, you know, you guys are scaring my kids. He said, you sc- I don't remember exactly what he said, but, uh, you know, he called me a pussy and said I was scaring his kids while he was screaming near the top of his lungs, <laughs> like <laughs> because yeah. he was mad that I was there. And, uh, you know, it was um, it was one of those situations where again, you see me being so skeptical of media, large media, especially um, just, but also just the fact that like, it's so easy for people to feel like they know what happened in a situation when they weren't there. And I know you weren't there, but I think you're trying to recognize that like, okay, you saw some things on stream. You can't, those, those undeniably should have been seen by the people investigating and, and weren't acknowledged. Um, And um, just the idea that anything close to violence was going to occur before the police arbitrarily blocked off the first amendment right to peaceably gather and walk down a street. It was laughable. Yeah. was laughable. There were some people who came out of their houses and like stood like this and like judged and like, you know what we did? Did anyone even remotely threaten those people? No, we, we, we stopped the ma- the rally for a second, and with the megaphone, some of the leaders engaged that those people in dialogue and asked them yeah. if they to speak. Honestly, <laughs> that was the thing. The yeah. people that came out, they said, "Would you like to speak on why Black Lives Matter?" And the people were mm-hmm. not interested. <laughs> but right. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. The frustrating part front. for me was watching. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. I was at the front of that whole rally. And um, that doesn't mean that I was better than anyone else in the back, but I could see where it was going. I could see uh, people making ex- excuses later saying, you know, this was good police work. Uh, and it's like, no, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to say there's no such thing as um, good police work, but I'm going to say that that was a terrible example of just simply like, again, just the fear of people of color of BIPOC people of people who are trying to stand up for the black community in this country somehow instantly being equated to violence yeah. because they were demanding justice and dignity. It's yeah. so my uh, takeaway from it early on, my thought process was eh, I'm not a big fan of people. And I've said this on the show. I'm not a big fan of people uh, protesting in neighborhoods. I'm not, I'm not big on that and I'm still not big on that, but, but, and this is a big, but, is that I think that it proved the reason why they needed to be there, you know, mm-hmm. doing it because this is the reaction and this is the way that they would be treated. It was not a good situation. So it's going to be interesting to see. And it was a response to a black unity member um, feeling directly antagonized in the Thurston neighborhood. A lot of those black unity people are Springfielders yeah, um, and uh, feeling like, you know, people want to, people want to say that we can't be in this part of the community that should be a place that they should hear our message. Absolutely. So I, I, I mean, that was just my first thought and my, my take on all this stuff is evolving constantly. So 
uh, we do have a lot to, to, to go over, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with the Springfield police department. There's just a lot going on. And I think that when it comes to race issues in Springfield, uh, newly appointed mayor, Sean Van Gordon said in his state of the city, one of the most important things in one of his main focuses is to combat white racism or to white, uh, white, supremacy. Uh, white supremacy. And, you know, the appointment of uh, Damian Pitts, though, I think the more that I get to know Damian, Damian is extremely qualified for the position. Uh, Damian Pitts being an African-American male from, from Tennessee, he brings a lot to the table and to the conversation and, and he's doing the rounds and he's a, he's a, a amazing human being. So, so that, you know, he replaced I almost, and I love you dog. And I want to push back too hard. I almost don't even like that. You would feel like you have to bring that up because he's appointed to the city council. Yeah. There's essentially no, there's almost no way that he isn't deep, like quite qualified, given that it was a pool of other qualified applicants as well. Well, no, I mean, I just think it's, I think it's important because I think that Damien is not, you know, I had him on the show and we talked and he's not of the illusion that uh, he's, he brings a different voice than what Springfield is used to. I mean, and Damien's only the second person of color to even be on city council. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that I get what you mean, but I, I I don't, I want to make it clear. The appointment was not because of him being black. I think that it's just going to make a huge impact over the direction our our city is going because the fact that there's people now that are being represented that have never had anybody and you and i've talked about this that looked like them and these are damien's i mean damien said this you know that i think that that could have a ripple effect in a positive way you know so Mm -hmm. i i just think that there's a lot of change happening for springfield anybody that's grown up in springfield like i have would tell you that it does come as a shock when you look at the committee or the the city council and you look at and you look at, uh, you know, what are you showing us here? So for people looking at the video, this is Chokwe Antar Lumumba. He is the mayor of a city in a state considered by so many people to be racist. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. He is not only is Chokwe Lumumba uh, the mayor. He's a very ardent progressive. He was endorsed by Bernie Sanders for his reelection. And he is the second person in Jackson, Mississippi, to be a mayor who is named Chokwe Lumumba. His dad uh, was also the mayor for a year. And I'm not just going to try to hold up singular figures, except that I think this picture of him and his family is absolutely beautiful uh, <laughs> and say that this, that, you know, this means that everything like, ah, I'm not getting it to expose properly on the screen, but um, you know, I'm not just saying like, Oh, racism's over. Cause we, cause Mississippians elected Chokwe Lumumba, but um, you know, it's just like, it, it disappoints me that in Eugene um, people of color candidates are not taken seriously and are not even like considered as somebody who like the political machine that controls who gets elected um, will consider as people who they can help into positions like this. Um, when the places that we all like to pretend that we are better than are actually um, we want to call them racist, but actually they have um larger communities of color and the people there who maybe actually are not even very friendly to like racial justice actually have met and interacted with a lot more people of color than you have. And you think you're a lot better than those people that frustrates me. I'm kind of thinking about writing a brief op ed about, Oh, finally, Oh, Asian people. Oh, we're serious now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause we weren't serious at all. And you didn't care about what we had to say at all 
when nobody would cover us, even though this the second vote getter in uh, the mayoral race, um, the only other person to get double digits was the youngest person in the race, a non-binary person of uh, Asian person of color. Um, so pretty cool that you guys didn't care because more voters than you might have thought cared. And uh, again, I'm not saying just like just ca- just care about uh, people because and, and their political ambitions because they are a minority race because they're a person of color, but don't discredit them immediately. Yeah. yeah and, like, and I think that's really important. I think that it, it it needs to be said that don't look at someone just because they are of color, that they're they're getting where they're at because of it or they're not getting it because of it. We need to look at who they are as an individual, you know. And I mean, you ran a really good campaign, so I don't think it had no money with no money. I mean, so I wasn't like good in like the 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 proper channels of needing to win. But I think it was a lot better than um, it certainly could have been for a a modest little race that was mostly run out of my car while I was homeless. You know, so yeah. Yeah. So we do have to move on. Uh, I wanted to talk about the primary election coming up May 17th for Oregon. Uh, we've got some really big school board races. Uh, Maya Rabasa, Kelly Mason. R- Maya Rabasa is running in 4J. Uh, Kelly Mason, she's running in the Springfield School District, and they are both going to be on my podcast on April 17th. So look out for that because we will be talking about their races uh, for the upcoming election. And then on April 24th, I'm going to have the chair of the Democratic Party of Lane County, Chris Wig. He's been on the show before. He's going to come on and talk about, you know, what to look for in the on the May ballot, and those should be getting mailed out, you know, here in a couple of weeks. And so this is a big one. I think we really need people to turn out uh, in a midterm election. We need people to vote every time, but there's some really important school board races, uh, and you know, the school board. There's been some really notable mix-ups in Eugene and Springfield in the last couple of years. So I definitely want people to uh, pay attention to that. And you wanted me to mention a couple races happening in 2021 nationally, uh, namely Nina Turner is running for Congress in Ohio. Uh, and also Andrew Yang, who is running for mayor of New York, uh, former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. Uh, tell me a little bit about them. I already have a Pokemon go alternate account called Nina Turner, 2028. I'm really <laughs> excited about it because uh, I really hope she does run for president in 2028. Um, but if she's elected to Congress, um, then it wouldn't be out of the question for her to to run uh, for president in 2024. She is just an incredibly convincing orator. Like that's one of the things that's so like a lot of the politicians I like support policy positions that I agree with. But like if you can't actually like show your heart and your convictions like and really like move people who might not even be friendly to your position, then there's going to be a little bit of an upper limit to what you're capable of doing. I will. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't know if I should say this. I like Ilhan Omar a lot. I think she's, uh, she's really cool, but, um, and she's, she's, she is also an excellent public speaker. Um, but there is a way that I think she's positioned herself that um, makes it harder for her to, I don't think she views it as her role to like convince like um, as many like middle America, like uh, even though she's from the Midwest um, kinds of people who wouldn't be sympathetic to her cause. 
and I really shouldn't even be like like pitting her against Nina Turner. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to find an example of the fact that if you listen to Nina Turner talk on a podcast or speak, there is like a, an intense. I've seen people who don't, don't agree with her and just like come to really, really appreciate the authenticity of, of, um, of the way that she composes her words too. Like it's poetic. And, um, She's running for Congress in a special election in Ohio, and um, she's just in, intensely progressive and was uh, worked with Bernie Sanders closely on his 2016 and 2020 races. And um, so she's exciting. And her race is in uh, August, actually, is the primary. And if she wins the primary, she'll win the seat. There is also um, I'm a pretty big fan of Andrew Yang, who is um, known by many for his 2020 presidential run and who brought universal basic income into mainstream conversation. Um, doesn't like to credit himself really for it very much. Always talks about how MLK really brought it up um, and other people have really championed it before him. But um, just very, very evidence based, data driven guy. Um really uh I, I find a little bit of joy in how much he is um overcoming some frankly i guess i would go as far as say bullying that he experiences from certain elements of the new york political establishment who do not want to see him succeed and he's still dominating in polls and is the front runner for um being the mayor of new york city um america's largest city so um excited about his campaign and uh, I just want to mention them because you did want to talk about 2021 and I know that you focus on local issues and we've got some really great school board candidates we're going to talk about. But um, there's also the fact that like not a lot of people make political donations in 2021 because um, it's the first year after a presidential race and it's not even a midterm election. But, um, you know, you can get like $50 back on your 2021 taxes um, if you donate up to $50 with the, the Oregon has a political tax credit. So you get all that back. So you can essentially like make a pretty influential donation, um, to, uh, any race in the country, but, uh, but certainly the school board races you and I agreed would be like really influential. Like they could make a lot of yard signs with 50 bucks. Yeah. That goes a long way. I don't know if we're going to have a lot of time today to talk about the school board races, the good news is that I will be having them on, like I said, on May, on April 17th. But if, if anybody's listening uh, and lives in Springfield, look up the Facebook page, Friends of Kelly Mason, and follow that. And then in 4J for Eugene School District, Maya Rabasa. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sure she'll, she'll let me know if I'm not on the you 17th. Are. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, like you just said, there's a tax credit available. Uh, you can make a, no, a donation to a political campaign and in Oregon, you can get a $50 credit on your state taxes. So that would be, that would be really important. Now also uh, to me, it feels like the 4J school board is behind on a lot of issues yeah. and behind the curve and acts slowly. And um, just like, is one of the, frankly, like there are a lot of people I like on the 4J school board as people, but they are so, rhetorical in their commitment to equity diversity and inclusion and so intangible uh, intangible on it time after time after time and it's not changed for the better hardly since i was a student in 4j for, for 12 13 years the big thing so, that's making headlines right now is kendrick lamar so kendrick lamar won a was it a pulitzer is it 
he won a yeah he won the pulitzer prize after his album damn he's an author he's a he's a wordsmith he's a, he's among the most urgent and important poetic figures of my generation and maybe of yours we're in the same he's in the middle of our ages sure. i think and yeah um, and yeah, there was, was a north, north was- eugene administrator who didn't believe that his music um, should be studied in the classroom um, because of things that they found were inappropriate. And uh, it's a bunch of bullshit. And uh, I'm glad the Eugene Weekly covered it because we need local media to cover things like that. And um, yeah, I'd be kind of curious to talk to like, um, I'm, I know how Maya Rabasa feels about it. I can guess how um, there's two other 4J candidates, Laurel O'Rourke, who is, I'm very excited. She's going to join the board. Her opponent um, dropped out and endorsed her, even though her opponent was Anne-Marie Levis, a very influential and powerful, uh, very recent chair of the board, dropped out and endorsed her opponent, Laurel O'Rourke. Um, and uh, Tom DiLiberto, who talks about the fact that classroom experience matters, and he would be the first uh, board member in quite a while that actually has extensive classroom experience as a teacher. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, and just to be clear, they're different seats. There's a few seats available. Yes, so, but people who can vote on one can vote on all of them. Right. But these candidates that we mentioned are not running against the two candidates that I'm going to have on the show. You know, they're, they're in separate. Absolutely not. Places. So you, so as they're in many look, ways allied with one another. Absolutely. So, uh, and if you start, you know, clicking around and following different pages, you'll start to see the connections that people have. Uh, you know, I wanted to have a quick segment uh, sponsored by my main sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro. I wanted to mention uh, a great thing that's happening that was part of the new CARES Act that unemployment taxes up to the first $10,000 of benefits are being waived. So if you have already filed your taxes, now the date, I think it's the 17th of May that tax that uh, uh, they've moved it back from the April 15th date that your taxes are due. But uh, the unemployment benefits up to $10,000 are being waived. And so if you've already filed your taxes, the IRS is going, they've said, do not amend your taxes. They've said that they will take care of it between, it'll start coming out in May, May to July is when they're saying that they expect a return. I know for me, that would mean because I was out of work for two months, I will be getting at least $500 back from the, from the feds, from the IRS. Uh, once they fix it, I, all I had to do to check because I used TurboTax was to log back in and it says, do not amend, but here's the totals of how much it's changed. So that's a pretty big thing for people, you know, you know, making that we're on unemployment in 2020, which is a lot of us. And so I think that that's cool that that's happening. Uh, and again, it's the first $10,000 of benefits being waived. Uh, and so anything above that, I think you do also have to have a, a total income of less than 150,000. So that's pretty significant. And so that's good. So Damn, that one, I'm not sure if I'm in that or not. Yeah, right. So that segment was, was brought to you by Oregon Castle, bro. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about your music and we're going to get out of here. So you're finishing on, or you're working on a new album. What is the title of the album? Has that been released? Chicken. Chicken. Okay. So uh, if anyone listening, uh, I said it at the beginning, uh, Thomas Hude is also a hip hop artist that goes by Gradient. Uh, you're not the only gradient on Spotify, so it's a little harder to find you. So if somebody wanted to find your music, they can search for Gradient Ambition. 
Correct. Is, uh, I'm trying to take over the gradient name, though, baby. There's other people that I can't disentangle them from my shit, and it sucks, especially because they make ambient. There's like a weird European rapper who I don't think is good. Love you. Don't think you're good at rapping. And then an ambient artist, and they're all clouded under my thing, probably adding to my monthly listeners, which is good for my ego, but certainly making it harder for people to actually find my music, especially my top tracks. So I just got to start putting stuff out and just reclaiming it. I, I'm not going to kick them out of it, but I'm just going to say people come to my shit. I want them to know it's my shit from the album art. And like, I want it to be the rapping quality that is like, oh yeah, this is gradient, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that everything about it's going to be perfect. I'm re recording it in my bedroom, mixing in audacity, which is a free program that sucks. And I'm so excited <laughs> to use it anyway. And um, yeah, the, I'm going to drop the first single on April 20th for the first single go. from chicken. Yeah. So yep. we were talking about having you play one of the songs and like you just said, it's not quite ready. So we took the hidden track from your, is it your first album or have you made two albums before this? Before it was my first full length studio album. I had two pick uh, mixtapes that I made on my own with other people's beats yeah. before that. That was 2013, 14. So if you think this is even decent, that was me seven years ago. I'm way better at rapping now. Oh yeah. And I can attest to that. You were, you were a skilled wordsmith. Uh, so you, we just decided today that we were going to end the show with uh, the hidden track off of your first full length album. So that's a good one. So Thomas, you it's always a treat to chat with you. I appreciate everything you do. And I'm going to, I'm going to definitely be talking to you behind the scenes to get me ready for this school board uh, interviews that I'm going to be doing April 17th. So I'm going to have you get me up to speed on, on what I should be asking and whatnot. So. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. You're awesome. Yeah, and again, a key date, uh, the Stop the Asian Hate March for Victims of the Atlanta Massacre put on by East Lane Asian Network and Black Unity will be at the Federal Courthouse in Eugene, Oregon, Sunday, April 11th at 2 p.m. And we're all watching the George Floyd, Dave, uh, Derek Chauvin murder case. And uh, I just want to say, whatever happens, let's just try not to hurt each other. <laughs> this is going to get really interesting. That's been a really difficult trial to watch. I've only been able to. It's going to set. Yeah, it's going to set an example for what can happen <coughs> across the country. Yeah. And um, I, from what I'm hearing, the prosecution is having a better is is doing better day to day than the defense is. You just never know, because I think one juror could hang the jury. Yeah. And um, also there has been some some stuff done that could lead to a mistrial, which would be a travesty. So. There's a lot going on and, and we didn't have time to talk about it today, but it's been really hard for me to uh, find the time to watch it. I've been pretty busy, but the little snippets that I've seen and I'm, I'm trying to reserve any type of, I mean, I already have, my mind is made up. I, I, I think it was excessive force, but I'm trying George to George Floyd. Yeah. You know, is I, not on trial. George Floyd is not on trial. The process, the, the prosecution against Chauvin has like interviewed like his former girlfriend um, to like sort of get out ahead of the fact that he had previously um, had opiates as a part of his life, for example. And they're trying to make it so that the jury like is 
understanding of that from their perspective so that the defense of Derek Chauvin doesn't just get to like drop it as some bombshell and like try to make more of a heyday out of it than they're trying to do. But that's their only defense. The guy was freaking murdered savagely in front of people. So. And it seems to me, if you watch any of the trial, it seems to me that the uh, paramedics and even some of the other officers, uh, Derek Chauvin's, uh, boss basically they it seems to me like they agree so so we're gonna see how this goes down but anyway thomas huda aka gradient thank you very much for chatting with me today uh we're gonna end this with a song this is gradient with higher Got a lot of people doing doubt in me, but I'm back in the game and you're about to see my shine. Never lacking the flame, gonna rap till I get him in the balcony when I rhyme. I'm dropping the hot shit, hopping the mosh pit, often obnoxious, not with an off switch. You can't turn me off, I'm coming for the crown that I'm worthy of. Turn me up and let's elevate and get high as hell, cause I'm hella great. People in my show say that was dope, cause I'm ahead of the curve like an asymptote. Laid back G, like burgundy, stay classy. That young talent, hey, that's me. And y'all old sport, Jake Gatsby. Newsworthy, you heard the station, gonna get him in a minute with the verbal blaze and rip the bong that's percolation i ripped the verse with no perforation precipitation get an umbrella like jay-z when i rock a fella we could even do it in acapella gradient and exit will take you higher higher than you've ever been see things you never thought you thought would never exist higher higher than you've ever been where we go we won't fall we'll stay there because there's a place with no walls it's been ages since we've gone get away Higher than you've ever been now I'm blasting off, 3-2-1 like an astronaut Half Neil Armstrong, half Asheroth And if you joke about me, I'ma laugh it off In my rhyme book, I have it all Not a cookbook, cause I'm rapping raw Up in the air when I perform like Michael Jordan playing basketball Haters stick like glue and Velcro Do I care what they're doing? Hell no It's sick shit when my mixes get me green like blue and yellow Hello, I'm on top of this shit Till death, I'll be dropping this shit Often wishing that the opposition would stop and listen and rock to this shit But they don't really hear me though And they don't really wanna hear the weird kid flow Not quite like schoolboy Q, but I'm a schoolboy too and I'm lyrical Hop on a beat, no crew can ignore us Not from the streets, I grew from the forest And I hope I don't screw up the chorus Yeah, I'll take you higher Higher than you've ever been See things you never thought You thought would never exist Higher, higher than you've ever been Where we go, we won't fall We'll stay there Cause there's a place with no walls It's been ages since we've gone Get away Higher than you've ever been Higher Higher than you've ever been Okay, let's rise to a higher state of consciousness Anyone could talk about their awesomeness And I said a lot of ways that I'm the best But I didn't always have confidence Back in the day, I was feeling low And what had happened, it ain't quite ethereal But it came along and it made me strong And I'm rapping today, it's a miracle Had the stress, but I trounced that Had depression, I bounced back Thinking I was never gonna get a benefit Without a better medicine, but I found rap And I'm proud that I'm still here after Half Japanese queer rapper Not quite what you saw before But when I recite, I leave your jaw on the floor What do you expect when you see me? You're thinking it's a blessing to be me? Like I've never been a master, been tested With no strife and my life is easy We all got challenges and imbalances But if you're down to listen then now's the lesson You can be the best And if you're feeling down I'll take you higher